Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. James chapter 4. I had someone ask me uh, last week, hey, we're starting James chapter 4, so we're going to be done in like a couple weeks, right? And I, I laughed. <laughs> I said, actually, we're not going to be done with James until June. But a lot of that's because we're going to take a break for uh, Holy Week, and I'm really excited about uh, that. I'm excited about um, pausing and considering uh, the sacrifice of Christ and what it, what it should mean to us as a church. Um, but I, I pray that you have been as impacted by this study through James as, uh, as I have. And uh, I was actually talking with a friend of mine from Oregon who uh, uh, he, he listens uh, to our sermons via podcast consistently. And he told me just, I, it was Friday, I think, and he said, I'm really, uh, I, I'm two sermons into your James series and I'm excited to see if uh, there's any plagiarism from another time I sat under a guy who went through James. And I went through the book of James while I was uh, pastoring in Oregon as well. And I actually looked at him, I said, surprisingly, uh, I, have, I have not been able to even touch uh, my previous manuscripts from James because uh, I... I am a different person than I was then, uh, as is the culture I'm teaching too different than where I was. And the reason I share that with you is because uh, God's word is living and active. And it means we can go through the same material and see something completely new. And it still remain just as true as it was the last time I went through it. Uh, that's why, as a church body, we come consistently back to God's Word uh, and strive to walk and live in the authority of what does God's Word say. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, it really doesn't matter what I think or what you think, it matters what God said, um, what He has said in His Word. And so as we continue forward, may that be ever-present on, on our minds uh, and a yearning of our heart to, to not just, as James would say, not just hear her, but to what? To do, right? To do what it says. Um, what is the root cause of fighting and bickering? Now, guaranteed, if you ask this question to a majority of the world, they would instantly think of another group of people who is to blame. For all the bickering that is taking place. And if you were to go to that other group of people that the first group of people said is to blame, um, guess what they're going to say? Uh, it's the other group. 
And in fact, this really isn't a new concept to us because we actually see that begin to take place right in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning. Why did you do this? Uh, She made me. Oh, turn to her. Why did you do this? The snake made me. And ever since then, we have been caught in what seems like an endless loop of shifting the blame anywhere we can. We've come to expect this reaction and response from the world, but what about among brothers and sisters in Christ? If we're to ask the same question, what is the root cause of fighting and bickering amongst one another, what would we say? But more importantly, what would we find out if we took a deep dive and actually sought to answer that question honestly? Now, it's really important in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Everyone say you. Now, this is not singular. And in fact, it comes back to when we first started James and we said, James is writing to whom? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? And we can see that in... Chapter 1, when he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And then over and over and over again throughout James, he uses the word brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here is where the rubber meets the road, church family. We will be ineffective out there if we are not first effective at living it out with one another. It has to start here. And so James understands this in the sense that he's actually speaking into the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've seen this even in other ways where people became uh, double-minded in that was revealed in how they talked. Uh, You praise God over here and then you curse those made in the image of God over here. So this is not a new struggle, family. This is not a new thing that we are wrestling with here. And what we would find, oftentimes, if we were to look across where, how the world functions and what this all, how this all plays out, what we would find is our responses as brothers and sisters in Christ oftentimes mimic the world way more than they mimic Jesus. That should not be. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, that should not be. Okay? We, we, should, we should be able to speak this into our lives. So here's what we're going to do. I want this morning to diagnose the problem. And more specifically, I want us to look at how Scripture diagnoses the problem. When it comes to what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. And the first thing we see here is that the symptoms are, in fact, quarrels and fights amongst the community of faith. That's the symptom. And we're going to seek to diagnose this. Now, in the midst of quarrels and fights, what emotions do we often 
recognize both in ourselves and in other people? Speak them out. What, what emotions in the midst of quarreling and fighting do we often see or hear or feel? Go ahead, just speak those out. What, what would they be? Anger, jealousy, hurt, frustration, pride. What was that? Selfishness. All right, you might see selfishness there, which is a lot easier to see in the other person, right? How much easier it is to go, you're being so selfish, than to look and say, I'm being so selfish. Way easier to point the finger. So if all these are manifesting themselves in our lives, then all of those correlate to these broader symptoms of what is really causing quarrels and fights amongst you, you all. Look at the second part of verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Everyone say, whoa, whoa, that, that should cause us pause. Now, if we're asking the question and di- seeking to diagnose, what is at the root of these broader symptoms of quarreling and fighting and bickering amongst one another? The first thing that we see here is that uh, the, the first cause is unaccountable desire. Summarized as your passions, unaccountable desire. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It ends up being how it shows itself, but when we break it down, the root cause is I have this desire, this passion in me that I just don't want to get rid of, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to achieve what I yearn for most. The word desire here can mean to lust after, to long for. And the reality is, family, that desire influences motivation and action. That we are most prone to commit ourselves to pursuing that which we desire or yearn for most. And it's not hard for us to unpack that, right? If I step back in time in seasons of my life and I go... Uh, In this season of my life, I really just yearned for authentic relationship. Guess what I spent my time doing? Looking for that, searching for that, spending time with people, articulating that. If it was, I desire and yearn for financial security, guess what I spent my time doing? I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to store up. I'm going to limit what I spend because I want, I, I yearn for this. We could fill in the blanks with many other things. It could be a singular item. Some of you have that right now, where you're going, I have this goal in my mind, and I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to run towards it with unashamed passion, because it's what I desire. We see covetousness here. You covet and cannot obtain. So what do you do? You fight and quarrel. 
Because what is covetousness? I want what my neighbor has. I want that. In our Western culture, all you got to do is turn on the TV or your phone, and instantly you're struck with a temptation to covet. It's not hard. There's another dynamic here that we see, and it's prayerlessness. You do not have, this is the second part of verse 2. You do not have because you do not, what? Ask. You ask and do not receive. Now, this is important. There's a lot of people who would love to quote the second part of verse 2 and tell you, Hey, you want a new car? Just ask. All you got to do is ask. And some of you are going to nudge your spouse and say, I'm asking. But look at the clarification in verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on what? On your own passions. You see the theme here? What causes quarrels and fights among you? The cause at its root is that I have unaccountable passions and desires stirring in me and there is a war that is waging. Now, I want to illustrate this visually for you because we don't often consider the type of war that we're really fighting, okay? So I need someone to help me. I need someone to help me. Someone. Anyone. I'll have Bill come help me. Okay? Come up here, Bill. No, we're not tying anyone up. (laughs) That might be entertaining. Probably communicate the wrong point. All right, so, take your end. So, here's the reality, okay? Um, Bill, I'm going to represent the world. You're going to represent someone who is in the world. Okay? Before Christ, Bill's going to go where I take him as the world. Okay? So, I, if I come over here, there's no resistance. Alright? In fact, Scripture says it's like a sheep led to slaughter. The person who is committed to the world, they're committed to themselves, they're stuck in their own fleshly way of living. That's all they can see. So they're going to go wherever. Now, here's what happens, Okay? When someone makes a decision and says, no more, I see my sin for what it is, I see the fleshly pieces of my being, then all of a sudden they start a war because the Spirit of God says, no way, there should be a difference. And so all of a sudden, what repentance looks like is what? What is, does anyone know what repentance is? Ah, okay, now. Bill is going to try to walk that way, and there's going to now be resistance. Bill. Bill. No, don't. See? This is what we do, right? This is what happens. And then something else happens. Bill. Hey, Bill. Bill, I got a dollar. (laughs) I know you want this. Ah, see? See what's happening? And, and as he resists, all of a sudden I might be, Bill, I got $5. <laughs> right? And there's this war that's waging in the midst of our flesh, and the Spirit of God is seeking to pull us away in the opposite direction. Okay? Thanks, Bill. Appreciate that. Right? 
Now, here is, here's the reality of what's taking place here. If we look at verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, this illustration you just saw is really rooted in Galatians chapter 5. Which is another layer of this. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But it goes on in verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But you see, the problem is, is oftentimes we don't look at it as if we're in a tug of war between our flesh and the Spirit of God. We just like to go with the flow. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever spent any amount of time in a real life tug of war with a thick rope, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. And you, in and of your own flesh, trying to walk in the spirit of your own power will become absolutely exhausted. So what should we do? We should recognize that the only power I have against my own flesh is the Spirit of God. I have to depend on the Spirit of God in me and I'm going to walk faithfully as a follower of Christ. And what causes quarrels and fights among us is that our passions, our flesh is at war in us. And instead of taking that energy out against our own flesh, we take it out on anything and everyone else. And we turn and we play the wrong tug of war. Because you see, what happens in authentic community, when we all realize that we together are battling our own flesh for what the Spirit has called us to, guess who gets more people stacked on their end? It's not our flesh. It's the Spirit of God. Pulling and pulling. That's what accountability is. It's that visual. And then when you're prone to come back to your flesh, people come up alongside and say, come on, brother, we're going to pull through this together. Because I recognize the passions in me are at the root of the problem. Your passions are at war within yourself. Then there's this idea of friendship with the world. This is not the only place Scripture speaks about this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John 15, 18 and 19, gives warning to followers of Christ. Jesus specifically speaking to his disciples. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Moral of the story, don't be surprised if you're living authentically for Jesus and the world hates you. Romans 12, this appeal that Paul shares to the church in Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we go a step further in James, in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Hostility towards God. We don't think about our passions and desires of our flesh being against what the Spirit of God calls us to. We don't think that way. And it's the reason we don't think that way, family, is because we are way more prone to compare ourselves to one another than we are to compare ourselves to Jesus. I'm way more prone to look at my brothers and sisters in Christ and go, Ha! I'm doing really well! than I am to have each one of us compare ourselves to Christ and go, Whoa, I've got a lot of work to do. You see the difference? And it's a mindset difference, family. This is the reason that gossip is so prevalent in communities everywhere. It's because we look at one another and we like to think of ourselves better than we should. And we just gossip and rumble about each other. Why do we do that? Well, because when I talk about someone else's problems, all of a sudden I go, "Eh, I'm doing really well. I got my life together, comparatively. And yet... How is that different from the gospel? The gospel says you deserve death and so do I. Because I'm a sinner. In other words, the person in their mess over here deserves the same punishment that I deserve in my mess over here. But we're stuck in this trap of passion and desire and our enemy is so good at convincing us that it's everyone else. When we befriend the world, we purposely and intentionally separate ourselves from God. Romans 8, 7 and through 9, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Get that? The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But then there's this contrast. You, however, speaking to the church, those who are following Jesus, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Summarize that. We are not all God's children. We are given the right to become children of God through Jesus. And only through Him. So what happens in us that causes us to become distracted? Well, the best illustration and visual I could think of was a chameleon. Now, interestingly enough, 
If you've ever watched a video of a chameleon, it's really trippy to watch their eyes. It is. Because they can literally move their eyes in such a way that they could get a full 360 degree view of everything that's going on. But if you didn't know this, not only can they get a 360 degree view, but each of the chameleon's eyes can operate independently of the other one. The chameleon is capable of processing two totally different images from each eye at the same time. Family, we are not chameleons. We cannot do this. We've convinced ourselves we can. Oh, you know what? I've got the fleshly side of my life where I just do my fleshly things, the worldly things I have to do. And then, you know what? On Sunday, praise Jesus. Here's my spiritual life. Woo. And what Scripture says is, no. You are either devoted to Christ or you are devoted to your flesh. It's the same reason Jesus said in the book of Matthew, you can't serve both God and money. I, someone tells me they're on the fence, I look at them and I say, there is no fence. There is two sides with a chasm in between. And the only way across is Jesus. So you either decide to stay in your flesh or you decide to follow Christ. Now, there's still a war. There's still a war, okay? It is not a snap your fingers and all of a sudden, man, it's easy to follow Jesus. It's exhausting. And it should be exhausting. But it should also be motivating as we look around and we see family. We are together in the same fight. And it is not with one another. And if I am in a fight with other brothers and sisters in Christ, my eyes have been fixed on the wrong thing. I have fixed my eyes in the wrong place. The reality check in this is that quarreling and fighting that happens within the church is rooted in believers whose eyes are fixated on the world more than they are fixated on Christ. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. There's a shift that happens in verse 5. Where it says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. That's one of those places in scripture where we should just pause and say, praise God. He gives more grace. But what is this character of God we see? We see God as jealous and we see him as grace giving. And some of you practically might be thinking, I thought jealousy was a sin. And you're telling me God is jealous? Well, let's step back and consider what it means for God to be a jealous God. God, in his sovereignty, created mankind in his own image. God, in His graciousness, gave mankind direct access to Himself in the Garden of Eden. And mankind, of His own choice and volition, chose His own flesh over communion communion with God. God 
jealously longs for his people to desire him in the same way that he desires them. The imagery of adultery here is not unfamiliar in the sense that in the same way that a spouse who's been hurt by that yearns for their unfaithful spouse to long for them like they do. God yearns for His people. And when we willfully choose the world, we become unfaithful to the God who is our salvation. He is jealous in a good way that says, I yearn for you to be devoted to me and no one else. So that everything you are flows out of the grace that I've given you in my son. But over and over and over again, we choose the world. It's the reason in the book of Hosea that God tells Hosea to go and marry this woman who is a prostitute. And then over and over and over again, what does God tell Hosea to do? Go get her and bring her back. Be faithful to her. Go get her, bring her back and be faithful to her. This is what it means that God is a God of grace and mercy. Because I don't deserve him coming after me one more time. I deserve death and hell. That's what I deserve. But God gives more grace. Amen? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. And here's where we end up with the prescription in the midst of the diagnosis. Okay? We've been walking through this and diagnosing the problem. And I hope you see that at the end of the day, the problem becomes ourselves. But what's the prescription for this? Number one, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to God. How do I submit to God? First, I need to understand what God has called me to. Um, you're taking a great first step in being here and hearing the word taught, but it doesn't stop there. If the only time I seek to submit to God is on Sunday mornings, then I'm not really submitting to God. I'm checking a box. I have to say, I am choosing to live in light of what God has commanded me. Period. It starts there. That's the first prescription. The first medication for you to take. Submission to God's authority in your life. We can move no farther unless you're submitted to Him. Secondly, resist the devil. Everyone say resist. Okay? Push back. You're in a war. Act like it. And I say that to myself, family. Because too often, we feel like fighting the war sitting on the couch. We have to resist. And look what the promise is. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. And if there's any doubt about that, 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us, no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But when you're tempted, He will provide a way of escape that you might be able to stand up under it. Church family, if you are in Christ, 
It's the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that lives in you. The same Spirit that conquered death lives in you. Satan has no power against that. But we've convinced ourselves he does. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep trying. You keep resisting. That's the second prescription to this. Submit to God's authority. Resist the devil. Thirdly, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The first step we can take in drawing near to God is to be still. I've talked about this before. We have to stop and quiet down the chaos and seek to just be present with the Lord. To surround ourselves with others who will call us into that and say, come, let's, let's follow Christ together. Let's draw near to God together. Let's walk through this together. And my goodness, church family, all right. If a dear brother or sister in Christ calls you out for a way you're living your life, you have two options. Be defensive or be humble. Here's the thing. Some people live a life where they've convinced themselves, I want nothing to do with the church because I was hurt by the church. Now, there are real legitimate situations where people experienced spiritual abuse and were wrongly treated in church bodies. So I don't, I don't want that to slip by and think that I'm nullifying that, okay? That is a real thing. Here's the reality, though. There's a difference between church hurt and accountability. And there are many times that people are lovingly approached by brothers and sisters in Christ and called into accountability, and it becomes their narrative. I was hurt by the church. No, you sinned. You were wrong. And your loving brothers and sisters sought to call you back. And you refused. There's a big difference. We have to understand the difference. Or we're going to be really prone to have this narrative in ourselves that goes, I I didn't get what I wanted or what I needed in this. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God in the church. That His bride would be pure. Draw near to God. This brings us to the fourth aspect of this in verse 8 cleanse your hands you sinners we sang that give us clean hands give us pure hearts let me not pursue any other purify your hearts you double-minded what does that mean it means that i am double-minded in the sense that i'll be okay with my flesh and yet i yearn say over here i yearn for the spirit of god in me confession and repentance should be regular rhythms in our life clinging to the hope of first john one if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness he gives more grace and the very last prescription to quarrels and fights among brothers and sisters in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Now the practical means of responding to this is to seek to live this out practically speaking. So the worship team is going to come up. Here's what we're going to do. Church family, we have to practice 
and authenticity in how we respond to conviction. In saying, I'm going to be wretched and mourn and weep. Verse 9, my laughter turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is not a permanent prescription. But this is a first step in us saying, in order for me to be fully committed to following after the Lord and what He's called me to, it starts by me recognizing my own sinfulness and inability to come to God the Father apart from what Christ has done. It begins there. And so there's some of you here today who may have never made a decision to truly submit yourself to the Lord. You've kind of been floundering. And you're, you're wondering, where do I begin in this? It begins by, am I going to be submitted to God or am I going to remain submitted to myself? It starts there. But there's many of the others of you that will resonate with how I resonated this last week in the sense that in the midst of my journey to live a life submitted to God, I so often turn back to my flesh. I so often give in to the desires and passions in me. And when that happens, I have a responsibility to humble myself before the God of the universe in confession and repentance and say, Lord, I don't deserve anything you've given to me, but you're all I have. And that's what we need to do today is in humility, return to a place of saying, God, you're all I have. And you're all I yearn for. But we don't stay there. And so we're going to live that out in song. But this first song may be unfamiliar to some of you. It's a song of repentance. To draw me, draw me, Lord, to a place of confession and repentance. We're going to start there. And during that song, I'm just going to tell you, take whatever posture you need to in response to God's word. If you need to be on your knees, then be on your knees. If you need to stand... And lift your hands, lift your hands. If you just need to sit in quietness and reflect on this and do that. But then we're not going to stay there. After that song, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing Christ, our hope in life and death. As we walk through this, I'm, I'm going to sit up here. And if you're someone who's going, I just need, I need someone to pray over me. As I seek to walk this journey of humility and repentance then I'm going to be down here. And if there's more people that come and say, I need prayer for this, I'm going to encourage those of you who are here and see that, that you come up and you just pray over your brothers and sisters. And let's commit ourselves to not just hearing that we need to walk and live in humility before the Lord, but let's do it. Let's start fresh and walk in unabandoned faithfulness towards the Lord. Okay? Father, Open our eyes. Lord, see if there's any wicked way in us. Cleanse us. That we might walk faithfully as you've called us to in Jesus' name. Amen.